This is the best of two pros in a cup of Joe with LeVar Arrington, Brady Quinn, and Jonas Knox on Fox Sports Radio. Hi, it is a Wednesday, and that is LeVar Arrington's favorite day of the week. Yup, 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 yup. How you know? How did you know? Jonas, 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 Jonas. How'd you know? How'd you know? How did you know? Berto, Berto, Berto. You're back there, Brady, 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 Lee, 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 Lee. Do we got my bestie back there? Is my, yeah, my bestie's back there, Eddie. It's hump day. That's right, baby. It is a hump day <laughs> here on Fox Sports Radio. Uh, and uh, we've got all sorts of football conversation uh, to it, get to. Is it, is it okay if one day I don't want to do it? Yeah, I, yeah. I agree. It's kind of getting played out, yeah, you know? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Thank you. That's good. There yeah. it is. I, I, by the way, I thought there of all is. the days, like today would be the day we don't do it. Yeah, yeah. Of all the days, I, I, I thought today might be that I day. I kind of agree. Yeah, I can't believe yeah. you did it, man. I can't. I, but, well, I mean, I, I, I ran with it. I mean, I'm not going to leave you hanging. Just can't believe you did it. You I, should. I, I, I mean, appreciate you, it. You, yeah. you should leave Jonas out there with his pants around his ankles, just eh, spraying in the wind. We call that the Dublin. That's what we call it. That's the. Yeah. I won't leave you hanging. I, the, I got your back. That's the. Uh, well, back. well, I appreciate it. You know, uh, you know, Brady would, but I appreciate it, Lavar. Yeah, I would. I mean, um, you gave up on giving us the Harry Carey impersonations. I mean, all right, that's fine. We can we can uh, say bye bye to the Hump Day uh, intro <laughs> until we bring back Harry Carey. I mean, I, I'm just saying that's a deal. That's yeah. a deal. Go, going with the camel deal on on a day where we're going to talk about one of the greats of the game. I mean, you know, I get it. I, I hear you, man. I, get I, it, I don't you know, know why Brady told me to do it. Uh, now Jeez. let's. Uh, uh, let's get into. Uh, I went with uh, you though, the, so don't, don't you're not by yourself. No, listen, right. I appreciate it, man. So, um, right. so this was the news that made the rounds in the NFL late last night or uh, late la- uh, yesterday afternoon into last evening. John Madden, uh, legendary coach, uh, broadcaster, uh, the uh, the name behind the Madden video game. Uh, he passed away at age 85, top to bottom. Uh, in my mind, one of the great resumes in NFL history, if not the greatest. Uh, his impact on the field just as a coach what he did afterwards uh, but John Madden gone at the age of 85 just a legend uh, in every sense of the word he he was more than just like as far as NFL news this is more than the NFL like obviously his entire life was about the game of football you know played initially played in the NFL hurt his knee in Philly and that was it but that's where he first developed his love for the game of football uh, as far as coaching goes and teaching goes, being around Norm Van Brocklin. You know, he gets into coaching after that. He's around the great Don Coriel. Uh, then from there, he ends up getting hired by Al Davis, uh, who obviously Al ended up had, had coach under Sid Gilman. I mean, you're talking about some of the like all-time, you know, pioneers of the sport of football. That's who influenced him. And at, at a young age, he gets thrusted to be a head coach of the Raiders at 32 years old. Like, I know it, it seems more commonplace for us now, and there were instances of that back then, but it's, it was really rare, especially considering his resume at that point. And he never had a losing season. Never. He won a Super Bowl. He won over 100 games. And I think the, one of the crazy things about it is he didn't, like, stay too long. He got out. He went into broadcasting. Won 16 Emmys, worked for every network, became the standard in that industry with how he went about calling games. I, I called him, he was a tradition. John Madden became a tradition in, in most households who liked to watch football on Thanksgiving Day because it was his voice you heard. 
you know, him and Pat Summerall. And they're giving away a turkey or a turducken or whatever it was. But, I mean, I mean, he became a legend in so many different ways around a game of football. But that was the thing is it was all about football. It was all about him wanting to educate people, entertain people. And he could talk to coaches. He could talk to players about ball and X's and O's. But he could also talk to the common man who maybe didn't play football or didn't know football that much and explain things to him to make it simple. He was an icon, really, when you think about the impact he's had on younger generations. And, and Madden, the, the EA sports game, and the impact that had on young men who one day played that game, hoping to be up there at the NFL level, and then one day they're up there playing as themselves. I mean, he had such an impact on the game of football and growing the game of football. I don't think you can really truly appreciate you know, what he's done unless you start kind of reading through and you talk through some people. I mean, I know at Fox, like he's, he's who everyone tries to talk about. Not that they try to make you be as a color analyst, but he's the one who set the standard. He's the one that you're, you're basically trying to say, hey, try to do what John Madden did, make it your own, but be educational, informative, entertaining. Like he wrote the book on it. So it's, it's a sad, sad day. And, and obviously I was just, you know, when you watch that documentary that came out on Christmas Day, you start to get a sense of how special it was to so many people. You know, I started to get a sense of of what what was to come. I had heard for many years that that Coach Matt was dealing with with illness, per personal illnesses, and and some, a lot of people, you know, maybe attributed him moving on from the booth to just wanting to move on into life based off of dealing with some of those those health health concerns. I I I immediately my 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 flags immediately went up. When they they announced that they were going to be releasing this this uh, documentary on them on Christmas, it just had an airy feeling to it, it and, and it, so much so I started looking up like how is he doing? You know, you you meet enough people when you play this game. Our fraternity of uh, our group of people, our circle, in reality is very small. And so in your travels, you know, I was in the booth with Gus. I, I saw a couple people that that used to work with, you know, you know, different people. They worked with with, uh, you know, Coach Madden and my 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 agent, actually, Dean, Dean Grossman, Sandy Grossman. Like there there are so many people that, you know, you start to have conversations with. And when the documentary was announced, it, it generated a lot of conversation within the legends community and and it was even going around on messaging boards is he is he okay and and so when you stop and think like for me it's hard to educate young young people on the importance of people like john madden because it's just so you know things are just so simply put these days, they it's just so simply uh, absorbed. So John Madden to, you know, a lot of younger people, uh, it's, it's the video game, you know, and and that's what they know. They don't really know the the person or the figure. They never probably taken the time to know who he is. You know what he represented to me. Uh, I, I say there's like a few people that you'll meet in your life that embody certain things to a certain degree where the balance of it is so amazing that it's like for all these years they have tried to recreate what John Madden was in the booth it's like it's it's like all these years people have tried to recreate 
Whitney Houston singing the national anthem before the Super Bowl between what was it, the Bills and the Giants, right? People have tried to recreate that and they can't do it. People have tried to recreate what John Madden has represented in in the booth and they can't do it. And and I, I always felt like John Madden was the perfect balance. Like he had to look the way he looked to be John Madden. He had to have the name John Madden to be John Madden. He he had to have the voice and the presence to be John Madden. It's like so many different things that that had to be in balance for him to be the figure that he ended up being to those who knew who he was and knew his body of work. So I'm just honored that I've had an opportunity to be interviewed by him, uh, to to have met him and spent time with him. I, t- I always tell the story about how he said he would jump out at a Goodyear blimp if we went to the Super Bowl. <laughs> I, I love telling the story because it, to know John Matton and know his, his style of his communication <laughs> and the way he presented it, uh, just a masterful dude. And and I always say the ultimate the ultimate goal for me in my life is to be able to create a legacy where one day when I cease to exist physically on this earth, that people actually make it a point to talk about my my principle, my core values and, and what was important to me and and being someone who who impacted others, being someone who worked hard and and, and had a, a sense of integrity about how I approach things and I have never come across anyone. Mike Haynes is a real good friend of mine. He used to mentor me on a very consistent basis. I have never come across anyone who has known uh, Coach Matten to the level that they've known him that has ever had anything bad to say about him. And that's very difficult. That's a very difficult thing to do, to go a lifetime where you can meet people and no one, if his name comes up, no one has anything to bad, anything bad to say about him. So, honor to him, man, and respect to him. And you know, thoughts and prayers go out to his family, of course. Uh, but man, what what a loss to to the football community. Learn learn your history, guys. I know there's probably not a lot of young people up right now at six a.m. or at three a.m. or at four a.m. Oh, they're probably hammered. But do your do your homework. At some point, really do do a just do a dive on who John Matten was, and, and I think that 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 would be good for you. I mean, Brady mentioned it as a coach. He won seventy six percent of his games as a coach, and he didn't coach for a couple of years. He coached for a decade. He won seventy six percent of his games. There are thirty. Well, by the way, think about who he was going up against. Oh my back god, then. the Steelers, Bud, Bud Grant, Chuck Knoll. Yeah. All right. I mean, Don Shula. Like the, these are some of the other uh, Tom Landry. These are some of the other great minds and coaches he was going up against during that time. So it's not like, oh, he happened to hit this decade period that was a cakewalk. No, that was it's not a like golden that at all. era. Yeah, it, it, it was, it was to your point, it was a golden era. Mm-hmm. And, and he had that much success. It's still the all-time winningest percentage for, for a coach to have won 100 games. Yeah. It's the highest still. I mean, it's, it's remarkable, I think, what he did as a coach. And um, I, I think the crazy thing is, is he stayed relevant. Mm-hmm. I yeah. mean, how, how many guys can say that Considering how long ago he coached, he stayed relevant. It, there, I mean, there are only a few times where the name supersedes whatever the name is attached to. Like, especially if you only have to say one name. Yeah, exactly. Like, like pe- people don't say lip balm anymore; they say chapstick. They don't say tissue anymore; they say Kleenex. 
with they don't say football video Chopstick games anymore. Well, yeah, I, no, that's the point, man. They don't say football video games anymore. They say Madden. There were other games, Tech Mobile, jo, uh, John Elway had one, you, you Joe say, Montana had one. You don't say Michael Jordan. You say Jordan. Yeah, it, his name is You don't is say so Serena big. Williams. You say Serena. And, yeah. and you know, yeah, it, it never seemed like he was – and you meant, LeVar, you've never heard anybody say a bad thing about him. Isn't that because he was just himself? Like, it never seemed like he was trying. It never seemed like he was trying to, to you know, uh, like, this was my niche. I'm going to be the guy who was a little bit all over the place with the Telestrator. It was like, all right, here's the Telestrator. How does it work? It goes like this. Okay, let me draw some pictures and, and have some fun during you a know, game. He never, tr- he never tried the, too hard. Andy Reid reminded me – of John Madden. I played for Andy Reid in most of my Pro Bowls because <laughs> they would always come up short and the, the team that comes Jeez. up short ends wow. up coaching the Pro Bowl. Wow. No, that, well, that's the truth. Um, <laughs> that is the truth. I'm sorry. Um, but I played for him, I think, all three of my Pro Bowls, all three years. And and being around him and, and how he handled things, the one thing that you're talking about, as a coach, if you're able to relate to your your team, to your players. The one thing that a player will always say, Brady, maybe, and, and you let me know if I'm wrong, I just want to know that my coaches care about me. Yep. If that's the first and foremost thing to a relationship between a player and a coach, I just want to know that my coach actually cares. John Madden came across to me when I met him as one of the most, as you, as you said, Joan, as one of the most genuine dudes I had ever met. Like one of those type of guys, you know, where it impacts you in a way where you want to help him sit down. Like like I can recall the few times that I met him and interviewed with him. I'd hug him, right? I'd hug him because, you know, they get up, you know, greet you when you come into the production meeting. And I would shake everybody's head and I'll go him last. You know, anytime I respected somebody a whole lot, I would go to them last unless I unless they were just right there in my face. But I go to John last, I hug him, and then I put him in his seat. Right? Like I'd sit him down, I'd make sure he got into his seat. You know, I I play you know, I grab his shoulders and, and, and give him like, you know, like the 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 coach to to uh, the player to coach like shoulder rub and stuff like that. And and almost like he was like your granddad. You know what I mean? Like you had a respect and an admiration for him that is like, you need a blanket? Do you want me to go get you some some hot chocolate or something? Like, is everything okay? Like, you wanted to know. He was one of those figures. Um, you wanted to know that he was okay. Keith Jackson was like that. Like, you just felt a certain type of energy that made you feel uh, like a kid. He made you feel like a kid. Yeah. You know, so anyways, I, I, I'm, I'm thankful to have the memories of it, to, to have even met him and to have been around him and have talked with him. But I just think it's ultimately his ability to go to the screen and be what he was and on the Telestrator <laughs> and calling the games the best, on Thanksgiving, man. right? It was because he had the ability to connect with all of us. And so many people, you know, they could use that and don't have it. His, his sounds... The boink, boom, you know, all that stuff. Wow. It was all natural. It was just him. Like, you could picture him watching film or or on the board and, like, explaining it to a player or coach. And 
and it was also natural. It's it's one of the reasons why, like now, when you hear guys do it, and I'm not going to name names, Uh-oh. but but Jonas knows who I'm who I'm talking about. I'm sure <laughs> it, it comes off as disingenuous, like he, they're almost trying to recreate Jim. That. Jim. <laughs> I mean, it's just it's so fake, and that's the thing is, he was anything but that, and that's why I think he resonated and connected with people, whether it was through the TV screen or just in person, in the manner in which he communicated. But, but also, I think, you know, we talked about how when coaches let you know they care as a player, I, I think when people just try to help, try to educate, try to, you know, entertain, like when they come off as that type of figure, which he was, I always think that people tend to buy in more because what they're doing is they're not making it about themselves. They're making it about the person they're talking to or they're trying to help. And that was who... John Madden was like he, he really made it as entertaining and as brilliant as he was. And he really did behind the scenes. People don't know this, but like but even behind the scenes, the way they shoot football and talk about the game. He was the one who helped construct that. It wasn't all these people out in Hollywood who did all that. He was the one that was like, we need to do this. We need to think of this. This is how we need to you know talk about this. Like he was one of the visionaries behind all of that. And, and so one of the things that's crazy to me is like the way he went about doing it all was it was never about himself, even though he probably had the greatest impact on growing the game of football of any figure that we've ever seen. Mm. Yeah. No, I, I tell you, it's just an awesome, awesome resume, awesome dude. Um, and to Loar's point, you never hear anybody say a bad thing about him. I think it's a testament to who he was as a guy uh, and, and just his impact on the game as a whole. Be sure to catch live editions of Two Pros and a Cup of Joe with Brady Quinn, Lavar Arrington, and Jonas Knox weekdays at 6 a.m. Eastern, 3 a.m. Pacific on Fox Sports Radio and the iHeartRadio app. we got a couple of weeks left in the NFL season, uh, the first ever uh, 18-week NFL season. And so uh, we've got some teams out there that have got this, some decisions to make. Uh, but guys, if you're interested in being a head coach, guess what? we got good news. The Jacksonville Jaguars are starting up their interview process. Yeah, the worst team in the league, uh, two years running, is now looking for a head coach. And we've got all sorts of names out there. Believe it or not, yeah, they got all sorts of names that are being tied to the Jacksonville interview process. Doug Peterson, former Eagles coach. uh, Jim Caldwell had a couple of runs with Indianapolis and Detroit. Byron Leftwich, the OC for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Uh, Dan Quinn, Kellen Moore. Uh, There's been a bunch of names tied to this. Uh, Brady Quinn, the Jags interview process is underway. Let's get involved. Let's make it happen and be a part of the worst franchise in the NFL. Let's go. Uh, I'm going to pass. I'm, I'm going to pass on all, all things involved. Big fan of a, a few of the players and their team as far as just what I think their ability is. But uh, the hard part is, you know, Trenton Balky somehow has the ear of Shad Khan. He's going to be a part of this next head coaching hire. Based on how things worked out, whether it's in San Francisco or in Jacksonville, this you know this time frame, probably not not going to work out well. Uh, that, that's just my guess. Uh, there might be some success, but uh, it seems like it always comes to it to a crashing end at some point. So, the the more interesting thing I'm curious is like a guy like Byron Leftwich makes all the sense in the world. Was there as a player? He understands that market. I think he understands what this organization has been at times, maybe what it can be. He's, you know, been calling plays for Tampa now, being around Tom Brady, all of that. 
the only thing that stands in the face is there was a report that came out that said they wanted to have a guy who's got prior head coaching experience in the NFL. They didn't want to start over with someone who's doing this in the NFL for the first time. So are they going to make an exception or are they not? I mean, that's what becomes interesting about all of this is we hear owners say things all the time about what they're looking for in their next head coach, and then they completely, completely disregard that. Or they'll go through a coaching search and they'll get the advice of, for example, Jimmy Haslam of the Cleveland Browns. I mean, Kevin Stefanski was who was actually said to them, like, hey, this would be the candidate we think would be best suited for what you guys are doing. But no, they ended up elevating Freddie Kitchens into that spot. And he ended up being the head coach for a period of time before it ended up eventually being Kevin Stefanski. So for whatever reason, owners sometimes don't even listen to the advice that they're either paying for or some of their initial thoughts on how they feel about the situation, and they get persuaded at some period of time. But Byron Leftwich makes all the sense in the world to me as far as who would make the most sense for Trevor Lawrence, a player and a guy who gets that area and everything else. It's just it comes down to the, no different than what I, I said about Urban Meyer when he got hired. Have patience. This is an awful organization. Awful. And, you know, you've got to have time for him to learn as far as this organization to change if you're ever going to see what they're capable of a few years from now. I wonder if that was a shot at Urban Meyer. We want a guy with that has been a coach formerly yeah. in, in the league. Is, like, is it, like, not enough? Like, is it not enough – everything that's taken place like you got to put that out there as as like a, a parting gift shot a dart so to speak I, I think that that's interesting but uh, again I'll say this when you look at situations such as these and you're trying to find the right candidate to change the fortunes and and the trajectory of of a team which is really a trajectory of the entire franchise. It's a difficult proposition when you have people above the pay grade of the person that you're going to hire that holds them back from being able to achieve and accomplish what it is they're being hired for. I'm going to let that sink in. Like, let that sink in because that's the ultimate reason why – coaches going into situations like this is in some cases coaching suicide it's 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 why would why would byron leftwich leave what he has right now for that now nonetheless it always happens right if a guy gets an opportunity they're going to try to make their 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 way but man why would you go into a situation because if you've been around the business long enough you know if if the people that are above you that can overrule your decision making ability, whether it be on personnel moves with players, whether it be on coaching staff hires and fires, whether it be on how you discipline or or free agency, whatever it may be, if you have people above you, the owner, the GM, anybody else that may be in those circles that they run in and they sit around and they make these decisions and do what they do, you're not giving a person an opportunity to change the team. You're giving them an opportunity to be called a head coach. 
And that's what you got to be mindful of in these situations. The one thing Jacksonville had going for him is patience. Because when you looked at the the job there as a head coach, it was always, yeah, you know, maybe not the most ideal situation, but at least you know you're going to give the coach some time to try and turn it around. Gus Bradley got several years there where they were a bad team every single year. They were picking in the top five virtually every single year, and they gave him an opportunity. They were patient until they decided, we got to move on. Doug Marone, a lot of people thought Doug Marone was going to be a young, gone a year prior to when he actually came back for the final season. They showed patience. So you thought when Urban Meyer came in, well, that's an attractive job because you know the organization has shown that they're going to be patient with you. All that's gone. That that completely changed. I think the job and that destination got worse this year, not better. And that's after the coach they got rid of doubled their win total from a year ago in, in less games. So if I'm one of these guys, I look at this gig going, I don't know anymore. And if I'm Byron Leftwich. Uh, you guys tell me if I'm crazy. I would rather wait for Bruce Arians to retire and take over in Tampa than go take this job in Jacksonville right now with no guarantees that I would get the Tampa job. I'd rather wait. I, I think that depends on the quarterback, though, right? I mean, that's what this is about. You know, last year when you control the number one overall pick and you have a class that has a prospect like Trevor Lawrence, you, you I mean, you're going to be tied to that forever, so you feel pretty good about it, and especially having a second first-round pick – all that draft capital, all the all the cap space. So you've got all of that. This year now, yeah, you've got the number one pick as it is right now. You don't need that number one overall prospect as at the quarterback spot. And you might say, yeah, let, let's let's go get another edge guy. But as said yesterday, you drafted Josh Allen, you've drafted Caleb on Chase on. Are you going to invest another pick in, 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 in an edge rusher? You need help on the O line. Is it is that too high then to take an offensive lineman that? We don't necessarily have one that's regarded as a guy that would potentially go number one overall. I mean, there, there's a lot of questions in regards to how that, that's going to look. So to your point, Jonas, I, I do think it's less attractive from the optics of, well, you know, look what Shad Khan said he was going to do and then how things actually operated. You're being hired by a general manager that kneecapped the most recent head coach. He's done it previously in his career. And so he obviously has the ear of the owner. And so if you butt heads right away, it's going to be a problem. And so to your point, like, yeah, if this is the only opportunity I get, I'm probably going to wait for another opportunity or for, you know, the situation in Tampa to clear itself up where I can then, you know, sit there and say, all right, how much longer is Tom Brady going to be here and who's coming in behind him? Because that's going to be a big key of, of what all happens next. And also, like, uh, Doug Peterson. Like, uh, there's a lot of conversation. Well, you know, Doug Peterson would make some sense in, in Jacksonville. Man, I, I don't know that Doug Peterson looks at this and goes, oh, yeah, that's the one for me. Like, I think there's a reason that he waited to get him. Because there was talks that he was going to get hired right away this past offseason, right, like right. Mike McCarthy, and he waited. I just, like, well, I think I, about this. Why did, why did he leave Philly? Who ended up pushing him out? Another yeah. guy who had the ear of the owner, yeah. Howie Roseman. Howie Roseman, yeah. Who also pushed out Chip Kelly. I mean, you could go through the line of some of these guys who find their way into an organization. They know how to maneuver a corporate structure, and they end up finding a way to the guy in power and, and have his ear. And they become the influential piece that makes all these decisions. So I don't know that Doug Peterson wants to tie himself to another guy that could do the exact same thing to him that Howie Roseman did. 
I also wonder, uh, do you guys buy into the the approach of, well, you need an offensive guy or a defensive guy? Uh, you got this young quarterback, got it? Because a lot of these names outside of Dan Quinn uh, and a couple others have been thrown out. I think Matt Eberflus is another one that's been thrown out there. Outside, it's all offensive guys. If you're Jacksonville, you just need somebody that's gonna that's gonna you know steer the ship in the right direction. Well, correct. Think about it this way: everything. If you bring in someone who doesn't create the ripples and waves that Urban did, perceivably by having a a, a woman dancing on his lap in a restaurant or uh, kicking a dude in the hamstring. It's so funny. I was listening to Shannon Sharp talk about how <laughs> if you want to know what a real football player is, you put your finger in, in a real football player's head, you're going to get a swing. <laughs> so the fact that we found out about uh, Urban's foot touching the hamstring and the way that we did said all we needed to know. You just I would assume that Jacksonville is looking at it as we just need to bring somebody in that isn't going to be in the media, isn't going to be scrutinized the way that Urban was, and that's a win for Jacksonville. I don't even cuz if we're talking about the the what the team needs, the team needs a culture shift. They need a culture change. That's that's where you have to start. The biggest mistake people make in trying to change where the the trajectory of their teams are is they think that oh do we get an offensive minded guy do we get a defensive minded guy no start with culture you need to find somebody who's going to build the proper culture and then you worry about everything else because let me tell you right now if you had the best play calling the most sophisticated play calling mind in all of the game if if you bring him into a culture that is is toxic and not conducive, an environment not conducive to success, they will fail. If you bring in a defensive guru in a toxic environment that is a, an environment that is not conducive to success, they will fail. So the point is, the problem that, that Jacksonville is going to have to, to really address and be honest about is you have to address the culture and you have to start there before you worry about anything else. Well, if they want to change that, tell Shad gone uh, to sell the team. See ya. Uh, get rid of the team. You want to change the culture. Uh, that That's the common denominator through all this. You know, maybe they'll get somebody in there who's going to uh, put some cement in those swimming pools in the top deck. Get them out of London. Be sure to catch live editions of Two Pros and a Cup of Joe with Brady Quinn, Lavar Arrington, and Jonas Knox weekdays at 6 a.m. Eastern, 3 a.m. Pacific. I'm George Reister, host of the Reister or Wrong podcast. This is the intersection where sports, business, society, and pop culture meet the truth. Absolute fire on Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays. Facts only. Make sure you check your feelings at the door because no BS is allowed. We keep it 100. This is where real conversations happen. Listen to the Rice or Wrong podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. So we've been uh, talking, uh, and this is uh, the charge was led by LeVar Arrington, who tried to warn everybody about the storm that was Micah Parsons in the NFL, tried to let everybody know it's coming, uh, he's a problem, he's going to be a problem, and here we are, Micah Parsons is indeed a problem. Uh, the rookie of the year, d- the defensive rookie of the year, not even uh, worth discussing. Uh, it's a wrap, it's over with. Uh, Micah Parsons is going to be your winner. But the defensive player of the year odds – have uh, switched 
And uh, this is according to Fox Bet, where Micah Parsons is now the favorite, followed by T.J. Watt, uh, Trevon Diggs, and then uh, Aaron Donald, who comes in fourth. But here's what's interesting is that Micah Parsons is still plus money. So he's still a plus 175, meaning you bet 100 bucks, you win 175. Listen, Brady, you're better at the what's good value and what's not good value. I don't think there's anybody else that I'm even cons- – I mean, say whatever you want about T.J. Watt. He's missed time. This feels like this is Micah Parsons' award, and at plus 175, this even though the odds have dropped significantly, this still feels like a value pick and Micah Parsons is going to win this award. I think so. I mean, there's still some risk there, and you kind of never know what you know voters for this kind of stuff are going to do. Um, they could surprise you, especially if T.J. Watt were to close out the season strong. Um, that might change things, right? There's, there's, there's a lot of football left to be played in the AFC North. So that would be my only hesitation because I think he's really the only one in striking distance that could potentially you know, change how you view things. But uh, to me, I mean, again, worth the risk. Uh, I'm sure you could find uh, some way of kind of hedging those two bets based on those odds. But um, to me, I, I think I'd give it to him. I mean, he's had the biggest impact uh, of any defensive player on any team this year. And, and he's done it in a variety of ways. So uh, I, think, I think it is a safe bet. But I do think there's still some risk involved if T.J. Watt was to have some monster performance here down the stretch. You know what's interesting is Dallas finished third in the NFC East last year. Third. And well, it was a tough division. What I mean. was the what was the main yeah? What was the main reason for Dallas finishing third outside of Dak Prescott's injury? Defense. Their defense. Yeah, their defense has been much maligned for the last several years, and it has been a point of contention um, for quite some time. You bring in Dan Quinn. And I knew immediately because if you look at Dan Quinn's resume of what he's been able to do with defenses, I knew that that with the personnel that they had on defense, that was going to be an amazing addition for Micah to go into to that situation more than any more than T.J. Watt, more than anyone else and Aaron Donald, anybody else you want to throw in there. Micah Parsons has had the biggest impact on a defense and on a team than any defender in the National Football League, including Miles Garrett. And then if you if you ask yourself, well, how do you quantify that? How do you how do you show that? Because they they're they're NFC, they're going to be NFC East champs if they're not already. I think yeah, they're already over. champs. Yeah. Um yeah, they got it this past weekend. Uh they're so they're, they're a team that you can look at right now today and say that this is a team that's competitive enough to possibly make it to the championship round in the playoffs. They might make the deepest run that they've made in quite some time. This is America's team. You got to take that into consideration by, by I guess, proclaimed or by, by value, whatever you want to look at. Dallas, when Dallas is doing well, that's good for business. So the fact that he's the catalyst of this, because, I, I mean, let's be honest, this team is winning. You're not going to say Dak Prescott is the catalyst. You're not going to say C.D. Lamb. You're not going to say Amari Cooper. You're not going to say Ezekiel Elliott. 
you're going to say Micah Parsons and this Micah Parsons led defense, which I, I found to be funny when uh, Lewis Riddick was covering the game and he was talking about how immature uh, Micah was and and this, that, and the other, and Micah needs to learn. Like, Micah definitely is a work in progress and learning, but his understanding of the game and how the dimensions of the field work, if you just take a moment in time to stop and watch Micah Parsons play, he's different. And, and when I say he's different, I say he's different because I can't categorize or use a player. I don't think he's comparable to Lawrence Taylor, other than the fact that he's probably the best defensive player we've seen on defense since Lawrence Taylor. But I can't compare. Like I said, you would have to take and mash Von Miller with Ray Lewis to come up with the comparison of what player Micah Parsons is. He's always around the ball or getting off of the ball or making the play in the backfield. You just if you understood how difficult that was for someone to be able to do what he's doing, it doesn't matter if he's a rookie. You're not going to see veterans doing what it is that he's doing. And so whether he gets it or not, you still got to look at it from the standpoint of there has not been one defensive player in the National Football League with given the success where the team is currently in their standings, where you could say this one player is the reason why they are number one in the champions of their division and going to the playoffs other than him. And also, TJ Watt, Pittsburgh's not going to the postseason. I mean, it's I think it's a wrap with, when it comes to the their Steelers. Their defense has been poor. And and I just, you know, with, with the Micah Parsons stuff, they're, they're one of the top teams in the NFC. Uh, I don't even think it's just that he's the best player on defense. I think he's been their best player, period. I think yes. for top to bottom, who's who on the Cowboys is had a better year than Micah Parsons? Not Ooh. Dak. Nobody. I don't think Nobody. anybody on offense. But that's what I'm saying. He's the catalyst for the entire team. He's I, the catalyst for the entire. The team I, is winning. I think, I think so this is a lock. You can't say it for Pittsburgh. Like okay, T.J. Watt is the catalyst. I, I would I would argue that Cam Hayward has had a better year than T.J. Watt. I mean, just being honest, I think. Cam Hayward has been more impactful. So, and if we're going to go to other teams, all right, you go to Cleveland, but they're not having enough success for you to sit there and and say it's a runaway situation for Miles Garrett. And Aaron Aaron Donald came to the table late. If Aaron Donald played the way he's been playing as of late for the entire season, it's a wrap. He gets it again. But he hasn't been doing it for long enough this season. It's only been like the last three or four games that Aaron Donald has been the most. Now, Aaron Donald over the last three, four games has been the most dominant defender in the league. Yeah. But not as as a whole, not for the entire season. I think the award will be won based off who is viewed to have the greatest impact. And there's no dispute. Micah Parsons to our conversation about what they were last year as a defense to this year. And even in a time of need, being versatile enough to adapt to being an edge rusher. And and now how he can move around and play off the ball at a high level, too. I mean, all those things continue to make that case. But their team has to have success, which they, they have. They're winning the NFC East. They're going to be a playoff team. And he's had the greatest impact. As good as Aaron Donald is, as good as T.J. Watt, anyone else you want to throw in the conversation, no one's had a bigger impact on the turnaround of a team than Micah Parsons this season. Yeah, plus one seventy five, still sitting there. Plus one seventy five, make a little bit of coin. It's, it's a, a free seventy five bucks. Yeah, if you want a free seventy five bucks, 
Go ahead and lay the money. Yeah, Fox bet plus 175. That's a lock. Fox Sports Radio has the best sports talk lineup in the nation. Catch all of our shows at foxsportsradio.com. And within the iHeartRadio app, search FSR to listen live. 